Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. It is December the 2nd, 2013 and my name is Nikolai Humphreys. Prompted by the 20th anniversary of the 1993 World Development Report, the Lancet today publishes a commission which revisits the case for investment in health. The 2013 Lancet Commission Investing in Health points to the possibility of achieving dramatic gains in global health by 2035 through a grand convergence around infections, maternal and child mortality, major reductions in the incidence and consequences of non-communicable diseases and injuries, and the promise of universal health coverage. I wholeheartedly recommend that you take a look at the commission, which is available for free on thelancet.com. Alongside the commission, there is a short animated infographic that outlines the key messages. But before you do that, let's hear from our editor, Richard Horton. I spoke with him earlier today, and I started by asking him to make clear why it is so important to publish this commission 20 years after the original World Bank report. For two reasons. First, because the World Bank report was the beginning of a revolution in investment for health. Uh, And it's a good moment to look back and see what that's delivered. But I think more importantly, we're on the cusp of another revolution, and that's the post-2015 change from the Millennium Development Goal era to the Sustainable Development Goal era. And what this report does is to make the best case yet for why health is an important investment in this new era of sustainable development. And it's great to see that the two key figures in the 1993 report, Larry Summers and Dean Jameson, are spearheading the 2013 report. So how easy was it for The Lancet to get them on board for the new commission? Dean Jameson first suggested that we should do this commission over dinner in Seattle, and it was a crazy idea at the time, uh, mainly because how were we going to recreate the spirit from 20 years ago? The key was getting Larry Summers involved, and Larry said yes, he would do it, provided we publish the report in 2013, uh, which we have just done. And so I think these two individuals were absolutely critical to the success of the report. There would have been no point doing it otherwise. And they've definitely fulfilled the hopes that Dean and I had over that dinner in Seattle over a year ago. And so the the main message of the report, the spirit, is that we have the financial and technological capacity to eliminate currently huge health inequities by 2035. Is it really as clear and as straightforward as that? In theory, it's definitely clear and straightforward. The idea is simple, that there is a preventable burden of maternal and child deaths and infectious diseases that, given current technologies, we can largely control and that we can reduce those to very low levels over the next 20 years, leaving a residual global epidemic of non-communicable diseases that has to be addressed. That's the agenda for the next 20 years or so, and we can deliver it if we use the knowledge we have and apply it effectively in countries. And that, of course, isn't so clear and straightforward, but it is the challenge. Thanks, Richard. If I could take a moment to look at the key themes and key concepts, starting with the key theme in the Commission of Convergence. Could you summarize what is meant by this and how the health of the world's poorest nations could be brought up to that of the best performing middle income countries? So this idea of convergence is really that we are moving to a point and it's really important to recognize what a unique opportunity this is. It's almost a 
a historical turning point whereby we will be able to move to a time, 2035, where the world's nations converge on a common set of problems. Uh, and those problems are focused very much on a set of diseases, heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes, that we are going to share together, and the risk factors that we share that are driving those diseases. So if we can achieve that point of convergence, then we will be able to adopt common solutions to defeat those new epidemics and the report offers proposals for what those common solutions might be. Another key concept in the new report is that of a full income approach which policymakers in poorer countries need to adopt. Could you explain what this is and why exactly it is necessary? Well this is why this report I think is worthy of reading if you're a president, a prime minister, or a finance minister. Normally, we, and for many understandable reasons, measure the progress of nations by an economic indicator, which commonly is GDP. But the problem with GDP is that it's a very narrow way to evaluate how a country is progressing. What this report does is to take account of the value that we place on being alive. In other words, a measure of human well-being. And when you take account of the value of being alive and you measure human well-being, then suddenly you realize that actually uh, what is incredibly important in people's lives is their health because health delivers your the, a kind of life where you are free of diseases of body and mind and indeed can take part actively with a flourishing future. And that notion of well-being, which we don't normally measure economically and therefore don't take account of, when we do measure it, suddenly reveals the value of health as a political priority. And that's why I think this report has something new to add. It can give decision makers the confidence to invest in health because they're investing in the well-being of their people. And of course, universal health coverage is also a key feature in this commission, which is, I would say, the main contrast between the 2013 report and the original 1993 World Bank report. Is that a fair assumption? Definitely universal health coverage is the fashionable issue of the day, and it's a very important part of this report. I think the uh, messages around convergence and the importance of measuring human well-being are also equally important. The point about universal health coverage here is that it not only restates what has already been stated, the case for universal health coverage, but it looks at the pathways that one might take to achieve universal health coverage, which are going to differ for different countries. And so I think it's a more useful document in helping countries decide how to make decisions about achieving UHC. What would your closing summary be of what this Lancet Commission stands for and what the next steps for implementation and how we will monitor progress and hopefully success? Right now, the world stands in front of an incredible opportunity. It's an opportunity to rewrite the future of our species in a world that we clearly recognize is fragile and vulnerable. 
It's an opportunity to address a common set of predicaments that we face across countries and to close the gap on those predicaments, to reduce inequalities and inequities over a period of time that's entirely achievable, one generation. And indeed, that great sense of the unique possibility for our generation, that sense of optimism is one of the underlying messages that this report is trying to convey. We want to empower presidents and prime ministers with the knowledge that they can act and act quickly and boldly to achieve something which is really quite historic. So the next step is to certainly launch the report, but I think take it to countries. Uh, discuss it, promote national debates, not just amongst the political class, but also amongst the public, amongst civil society, amongst prof health professionals, amongst the private sector. All parts of society have a stake in this future. Uh, the way the United Nations has put it is that we're writing the future that we want, and this report is a contribution to that future. Uh, and now it's up to us to make sure it happens. Richard, I'd like to leave it on that note. Thank you very much for joining me on the Lancet podcast. Thanks, Nikolai.